Welcome to the Fantasy Sports Cave. This is your host, Gio Garcia, and today we have a very special guest. He goes by the name of Kevin Baxter. He's LA soccer beat reporter for the LA Times. Kevin, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, I got my black and gold media credential right here, ready for the new MLS season. LAFC, thank you very much. Yeah, we just got our, our season credentials for LAFC. So we're doing, uh, obviously, the, the interview here at LAFC's training facility here at Cal There's State. the field right there in the background. Too. Yeah, you, there can we go. you can see the field right behind me. So we have Carlos a- Vela runs around right there. <laughs> yes, Carlos Vela and all the, all the great LAFC players. Uh, so, Kevin, uh, I kind of want to get a little bit into your story and how you got it started. Obviously, first covering soccer, football, whichever way you refer it to, and then how you got into uh, L.A. Times. Can you kind of share a little bit about your story? Well, it's a long story. I mean, I've been doing this for 42 years. I know I look like a kid, but 42 years. I started uh, professionally as a sports writer when I was in high school at the San Gabriel Valley Tribune. Uh, worked at the Orange County Register. Um, I was at Runner's World Magazine for a while. Uh, Hayward Daily Review, Spokane Spokesman Review, Spokane, Washington. Wound up at the LA Times when I was 27 uh, for the first day. I was there 11 years. Went to the Miami Herald, came back to the LA Times in 2006. So it's kind of been a real mixed bag. As far as soccer goes, um, that's probably the more interesting story because I did a lot of different things uh, in all those other jobs. I covered Spanish language TV and radio at the LA Times as a beat writer. I was a, a page designer and editor for a lot, long uh, time. In Miami, I started out as arts editor, so I was in charge of coverage of TV, radio, movies, uh, everything. Became the national baseball beat writer uh, in Miami, covered the Marlins when they won the World Series in 2003. And I actually came back to the LA Times as a Hispanic affairs reporter. The idea at the time, this was 2006, that what I would do is I would cover stories of relevance and importance to the Hispanic community. Maybe there might be a boxer who, like an Abner Mari, is a local boxer Mm -hmm. that we would profile. Um, All the staff reductions wiped that whole idea out, so that was gone. And I became a Dodger beat writer for a while. But because I spoke Spanish, they sent me to the 2010 World Cup to cover Mexico. No experience really in soccer at all. And they sent me to a World Cup to cover Mexico. When we come back from that World Cup, our regular soccer writer, Graham Jones, who is in the Hall of Fame, great uh, soccer writer, he retires. So in 2010, we have no soccer writer, uh, and we have two teams, Chivas at that time and and the Galaxy, plus the national team, everything else. And they turned to me and said, you've been to a World Cup, you get to be the soccer writer. (laughs) And that's... That's all I had to do. Wow. That's how it started. So now now nine years, almost a decade in. How do you, how do you feel about covering uh, soccer? Well, it's, it's gotten much better. I think it's gotten better as my knowledge has gotten better. I'm by no way an, an expert um, on the sport yet. I think I'm getting better. But at first, it, it was more like it felt like just a job. It was just a gig, something I did to get a paycheck. And, um, you know, I, I think probably my coverage reflected that. As I've gotten more and more into it, and I have to credit my wife. My wife really got into soccer big okay. time when we started watching a lot of stuff on TV, and she was really analyzing the game. And she started challenging me on things, and then really? I realized I had to step my game up just to be able to talk to her. <laughs> so um, she really helped me get into it, and then she's been a real trooper. We take uh, our winter vacations on our own dime. We've been to Manchester twice, Liverpool to wow. see the Merseyside Derby. We, we went to Bayern Munich and saw a game there. This is our vacation time. We go to say Munich and take the, the tourist tours but we also go to a game and and go out to the training facility there and do some reporting and she's been totally on board with with all of that we just got back from this winter we went to Barcelona and Marseille and Paris Saint-Germain 
That's see cool. games there in Europe. Um, so she's been a big help. But the more I've gotten into it, the, mm. and the more I've come to appreciate it, the more I've come to appreciate the people around it. And mm -hmm. I'll say one thing that's different about soccer at this moment, football, in the United States, and this is not true, I don't think, anywhere else in the world, maybe mm -hmm. just the U.S. and Canada, is despite the growth of soccer, and the people listening to this podcast are soccer fans, mm -hmm. but they're in the minority. I mean, it's still, mm -hmm. right now, if things are changing, and they're changing slowly, but right now it's still, in most newspaper sports departments, it's still baseball, football, basketball. Yeah, in L.A., it's the Lakers and, and the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. um, so my point is, they don't turn to me and say, what do you have today It's going on the front page? Mm -hmm. With soccer, it's you really have to develop a good, compelling story. You have to push. You have to work, at, and I do, you have to work seven days a week. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to convince your editors that the stuff you have is good because they're not coming to me and asking me for it. I need to sell my stories. Mm -hmm. And so you see people that cover soccer football in, in the U.S. and in L.A. that are really, really passionate mm -hmm. about this sport. Um, because they're trying to sell it. And, mm. and that's what I really love about it, too. You go out to a Dodger game, and there's a lot of complaining in the press box. People don't want to be there. And mm -hmm. When you go to a soccer game, everybody wants to be there, and everyone is really passionate about the sport. And that fuels me. I really like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like you hit on a lot of uh, great key points there. I really do see, like, right, we're seeing at this facility here at LAFC. It's an incredible facility, state-of-the-art. I mean, they got their own field, the training, everything. Um, I think the MLS has done a great job just implementing, you know, adding little new new teams every year. And you're starting to see how, like, fan bases, like the LAFC 3252, the way LAFC has done it, I've never seen anything like that. They love LAFC like they love the Dodgers, like they love the Lakers and all that stuff. And for me, that's when I'm like, it clicked. I was like, wow, LAFC gets it. They built this team within the community. They built this in the heart of LA. And they also involved the community and also getting the big signing, obviously the first signing, Carlos Vela. And then, you know, reflecting, I feel like this team really reflects the community. How do you see it? Well, I, I agree. And I think that they did a lot of things right. And I'll tell you that when I went to Paris Saint-Germain, one of the things PSG is doing is they're trying to become more than a football club. Mm -hmm. They're an apparel brand now. They have esports competitors. Um, they're doing a lot of different things. And they look on LAFC, PSG does, wow. as a model. Because one of the things PSG said is LAFC is doing the same thing that we're doing in Paris. They're trying to become a lifestyle brand. Mm -hmm. They're an entertainment brand. Mm -hmm. um, they have a, a, a beautiful stadium. We have one in Paris. So th they're trying to do a lot of things th that PSG did. But LAFC has the advantage of they're starting. They started without a club. Mm -hmm. Remember, they were a brand before they were a team. Mm -hmm. So they had the advantage of setting up what they wanted their culture to be before they had a club. PSG has to do it backwards. Mm -hmm. PSG had to take an existing club and make it into a culture. But mm -hmm. when you talk about the growth of soccer, the amazing thing about the United States and in talking about the baseball, football, basketball model, there have been some polls done that show that uh, right now, NFL is the most popular sport course, in the U.S., yeah. uh, followed very closely by NBA. Mm. Um, soccer has already passed the NHL. It's already passed hockey. I, don't, and I, don't, I agree with that. I'm not surprised. It's very close to baseball. The demographic mm. for baseball is primarily me, mm. primarily older white men who are getting older and older and older. Soccer is a mm. millennial sport. It, it's you know, and you, I don't mean to interrupt you, but the one thing you just said, I think A-Rod said, like, you know, it's the older generation for baseball. And I don't think the, the league like MLB doesn't get it because it's the culture that's going to move, you know, the culture, the youth that you need to attract. And I feel that's why, like, soccer or football is trending upwards here in America. And then, I um, mean, see, obviously, the NFL is somewhat trending down. Uh, in my opinion, I think NBA is the best league. 
in, in America and you see why because they, they you know the you can watch any games the you know you see all their stuff on social media they're all about the, the players it's a really a players league and I kind of see some similarities with the MLS and what they're trying to do with their clubs and players well it's just not MLS I think was kind of the point is it's it, you're right it's a millennial sport and there's a lot of things that mm-hmm. uh, it has to that it makes it attractive to millennials it's it's international mm-hmm. it's not a, it's a sport that baseball is very much uh, you know the US Dominican mm-hmm. Republic Cuba uh, football is international and I think millennials think of themselves by and large as citizens of the world mm-hmm. they're not hemmed in by any borders in, in a real sense so there's that part of it that it's international um, there's a, a lot of other moving parts to it I mean you have the passionate fans here in Southern California mm-hmm. who are passionate fans of teams that their families grew up with in Mexico yep. that's one component of it we have the MLS fans here who want to feel and touch and go out and see their games yep. but we also have the fans of the European uh, clubs who see the European model as being the best uh, as, uh, as as being sort of the perfect football and they watch those games on TV and follow the teams and, and, and maybe make a, a pilgrimage over to Europe as my wife and I do every year to mm-hmm. watch games so so it's coming from all kinds of different places. Um, there are, as we said with PSG and LAFC, there's an apparel part to it. Mm-hmm. Soccer fashion is a huge thing right oh, now, yeah. and it is pulling in that millennial uh, generation. I know a lot of fans who actually got involved in soccer by playing the FIFA World Cup game. Yeah. They would play the game, they'd get passionate about the game, learn that, hey, these players in this game really exist. Mm-hmm. I can go watch them on TV or go to the stadium. And, and, but you're right about MLS. They've created a culture here. Yep. They have their soccer-specific stadiums. Um, they've tried to build them, for the most part, in, in downtown areas. You see that in Portland and Seattle. Well, that's not really a soccer-specific stadium, but L.A., Portland, um, you know, Philadelphia is, is a little bit outside Philadelphia. But they're trying to create an atmosphere to draw people mm-hmm. in so that it becomes more than a game. And I think another thing that can't be overlooked is... Uh, a soccer match is two hours, an mm-hmm. hour and 50 minutes, unless it goes mm-hmm. to penalty kicks. Um, say what you want about the millennials. It is very true that they are. Uh, mm-hmm. there is a lot of demand on their time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's short, if you want to call it short attention span, whatever. Mm-hmm. They don't appreciate a five- or six-hour baseball game or no. even a four-hour NFL game. Mm-hmm. If you go to a soccer game, you know it's over in one hour and 50 minutes. I think that there's an appeal to that, too. It's only part of your day. It's not like yeah. your whole day. And I think with that, also, it's like the experience of going to a game. So, for example, if you go to uh, uh, let's LAFC, right, because we're talking about them. You go to LAFC, you s- say you don't even sit in the 3252, but you're sitting at the section next to it, and you're watching that craziness, that madness. That in itself is just the, the entertainment value that I think is a drawing a lot of people into the sport, let alone the game, right? Say the game's 1-1, say it's a 4-3 game, it's the fan the fan base is there, the game is really good, then bam, that's why I see that winning. Because the way LFC has done it, I've seen somewhat of FC Cincinnati, the new team that's coming into the league, and they've kind of done a mimic, I want to say. I think LFC has been a great way... And there's other teams around the leagues, right? Atlanta United, Seattle Sounders. I mean, they can sell out big NFL stadiums. But I think what what has stood out to me is if you can get people to buy into this fan base, be part of this, be part of the community, cheer. It's not just I don't I haven't really seen that in other sports. Like you may mention baseball, it's kind of hard game because it's long. NFL at the same time, but ba- basketball is just always going. There's always something going on. And I think soccer has a little bit of both. Well, there's a lot there to chew on. Mm-hmm. One is you talk about the fan culture. In baseball games, you see it on the scoreboard all the time. Mm-hmm. Hey, everyone stand up and clap, or they play the charge song over the, the speakers. They tell you when to get up and clap. Mm-hmm. They basically tell you, hey, now's the time we should get excited. You never see that in soccer mm-hmm. because the supporter sections, they're on their feet all the time. And, mm-hmm. and 3252 is 
in some ways unique, in some ways a copy. They they worked very closely with Borussia Dortmund mm -hmm. and their Yellow Wall there mm -hmm. to develop that fan culture. Orlando City has a mm -hmm. similar standing section in their stadium. Most teams here in the U.S. now do have that passionate uh, fan base, and you see that all over the world. Again, I, I went to a game in Marseille. There was a passionate supporter section there waving banners beating drums, playing trumpets the whole game. PSG had the same thing. Went to a game in, in Spain, in Barcelona, Espanol, the mm -hmm. second team. Did you know there was a second team in Barcelona? <laughs> the second team in Barcelona. Yeah. Their fans were super passionate. Mm -hmm. So you, you you see that everywhere, and you're right. I would not, personally, I would not want to sit in that section. I would want to sit adjacent to it mm -hmm. and watch it. I wouldn't want to mm -hmm. have my eardrums split by all that sound, but you know, I, I'd want to watch that, and, and it it's part of the culture and it's part of the thing that makes you want to go to the games and by the way you mentioned selling out large NFL stadiums I don't know if you knew this but this year for the first time ever the Super Bowl and the MLS Cup were played in the same season yep. I know you're in the now. same stadium mm -hmm. MLS Cup drew more fans same stadium same season MLS Cup put more people in the building than the Super Bowl and if that doesn't tell you the future which I, I kind of I really see the MLS as one of the top three leagues in America I mean, call me crazy, but I really see that happening. Maybe five. To, I mean, five is kind of aggressive. Ten years from now, the way that MLS is growing, you're adding teams, you're making people part of the team, part of the community. We just saw 3252. They're here at practice, got to see everything. You know, I think that's what attracts more people. I think the one thing that's missing, though, is a com super compelling product. Product, and by that I don't mean MLS is not compelling, but one of the th things driving. Um, soccer all over the world mm -hmm. is TV revenue. Yep. Um, you see you know, Ligon in France has a brand new domestic deal that is, is very lucrative. Uh, EPO gets more than a billion dollars a year. Mm -hmm. Bundesliga gets a lot of money. It, the point is TV deals are big. Even the, the, the women's league in Mexico now has a deal with Univision to show mm -hmm. games in the U.S. TV drives it. Mm -hmm. TV deal that MLS has is not very good. It's $90 million a year. A, a, a big chunk of that goes to the U.S. national team. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is, yeah, LAFC has super passionate fans, uh, and they will watch the game, LAFC games, but they're not necessarily going to watch the Philadelphia Union play the New mm -hmm. York Red Bulls on TV, and the networks know that, so mm -hmm. they know that there's a limited amount of yeah. viewers that will come to that game. Um, we need to grow the sport to the point where LAFC fans care about what happens with the Philadelphia Union. Gotcha. As yep. they do, you know, you may be a Make Laker a fan, yep, but you watch the 76ers if they're yep. on Christmas Day. Yep. We're not to that point yet. Not Until yet. we get to that point, the networks are not going to pony up for big TV contracts. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's, you're, you're right, I completely on that, and I completely agree with what you're saying. I think it's baby steps, right? We saw, we see, we see, we're getting a little taste of what could potentially happen in what you said. They sold the MLS Cup had more fans in there than that. I think that's just kind of like little little tidbits of what we can see in the future. Um, so moving on, obviously you cover both teams. You cover LA Galaxy and LAFC. I want to get a little bit about what your thoughts on LA Galaxy. I mean, they made the big signing of signing Guillermo Scalotto, you know, who's at Boca Juniors, uh, one of the biggest clubs, you know, in South America and Latin America. Uh, what are your thoughts on, and they, they did get Zlatan Ibrahimovic's badge. What are your thoughts on the way LA Galaxy is this season? Well, one of the things I need to say from the start is, and fans of either team listening to this, whenever I write or talk about LAFC, the Galaxy fans say, oh, you're an LAFC homer. And whenever I write about, the, it, it, when I do it in reverse, if I write about the Galaxy, LAFC fans uh, are upset. What I do is, my job is to cover soccer. I cover the women's national team, the men's national team. I cover Mexico at times. I cover both teams. I don't really have an allegiance with either team. 
why do I write about the Galaxy? I do write about the Galaxy more. And you know why? Because there's a lot of stuff happening over there. You look at this team, and there's there's no soap opera here. Mm -hmm. Bob Bradley's the coach. He keeps uh, you know the lid on everything. There's not a ton of injuries. Um, the players that they get out here are are really good players, but they're they're not controversial players uh, like say a Gio dos Santos. Mm -hmm. um, you're not going to see them on on uh, 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 any kind of a scandal sheet or anything. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot going on with the Galaxy. And yeah. you mentioned what they've done this offseason. This was very needed. Remember, they've gone through uh, three coaches yep. in the last two seasons. Didn't make the playoffs. Only the second time ever they've missed the playoffs in consecutive seasons. They lost 30 games in consecutive seasons. Worst uh, performance ever. They gave up 131 goals mm -hmm. in consecutive seasons. Never done that before. So they needed a fresh start. So they have a new general manager, Dennis DeClose, came over from the Mexican mm -hmm. National Federation. They have, as you mentioned, Boris Galoto, the new coach coming from Boca Juniors. These guys have deep ties in Latin America, and we are going to see a lot of Latin American players. We already have Diego Polenta, uh, Uriel Antuna. There's a lot of Latin American players coming up, and we're going to see more of that. But they needed a fresh start. And yeah. one of the things you're beginning to see already, Boris Galoto quietly has made it known that the roster that he inherited, he wasn't, and he didn't like a lot of the players. He came in in January, you know, camp was starting three weeks after he came in, so he had to start with the roster he had, but you're already starting to see, you know, it looks like Ola Kamara is on his way to China. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's brought in Polenta and Atunia, and, and they're starting, uh, it looks like they're going to start right away. Uh, Efraim Alvarez is probably going to get see a lot of minutes That's this year. That's uh, They've talked about using him as a number 10, which is what they need because they're probably going to go with a 4-2-3-1, and they're going to need a central midfielder to link to mm -hmm. um, uh, to. Zlatan. They brought Zlatan back. That was a no-brainer, but uh, they gave him the richest contract in MLS history. So the Galaxy in some ways looked better than last year, but they're still a work in progress. Yes. And I, I think DeClosa and, and Scaletto have done a good job so far, but they're not miracle workers. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's it's only fair to give them some time to get yeah, this right. Yeah, no, no. And, I, and I, to your point, um, like you said, you know, Ola Kamara, I mean, he was supposed to be with the team. Now he's not there. He, I guess he wanted more money or just wasn't the right fit. Let's just put it that way. I think for them it's going to be exciting to see because you have someone like Guillermo Scalotto. You know, he wants to do kind of things his way. He has a way. He has, you know, he has a winning pedigree. He also is familiar with MLS because he played here. I think with them and also you mentioned uh, Gio Dos Santos, it's to see how they do within these first couple of months and we'll see what players he, he tries to bring in and gets rid of. Well, I think the thing with Ola, my, the way I read the tea leaves with Ola is he wanted more money. He's 29 years old. He wanted more money. He got a raise last year to $925,000. When you look at his production, 48 goals in 90 games, three seasons in MLS, that's pretty good. Um, he probably is underpaid, and I think he thought he was too. And he was looking at it. I'm 29. Um, I'm with the Galaxy. They already have four DPs. You're only allowed three. Yeah. So they've already got one problem with money. There's no money there for a raise for me, Ola. Mm -hmm. And next year, if Zlatan wants to come back, and he hasn't closed the door on that, if Zlatan wants to come back, there's another year where I don't get money. Then yeah. I'm 30. So I think Ola looked at that and said, I need to find a place where I can get some more money because this may be one of the last big contracts of my career. Mm -hmm. All power to him. And every player I talked to said, if that's what he needs to do to support his family, yeah. then go for it. The other thing with Ola is I think last year with Zlatan when he came in, mm -hmm. Ola was playing out of position. Yeah. Uh, he played great. He was selfless. He tracked back on defense. He did a lot of heavy lifting, but it wasn't his best position. Mm -hmm. And it was his lowest 
goal total, 14 goals is still pretty good, second on the team, but it was his lowest in MLS, in his MLS career. So I think he felt like, look, I'm paying, playing out of position, um, I'm getting older, and I'm not getting the money that I think I can get somewhere else. So I think that was behind all that. Now, it does change the way the Galaxy are going to play, and I think there are people that probably like that. I think Zlatan wants to be mm-hmm. a lone striker. I don't think he wants to play next to Ola. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that works out for him. I think mm-hmm. I don't know that Zlatan was behind this. I don't think he was. I think this was Ola on his own. Mm-hmm. But I think it benefits Zlatan. And you're right. I think it's it's still a work in progress. How they've been training all winter mm-hmm. um, with the expectation that Ola and Zlatan would be paired. Now four days before the start of the season, they find out Ola may not be here. They've yeah, got to start all and over and again. And that's and that's which is uh, kind of just kind of stood out for me from from the LA Galaxy. Uh, one last thing on uh, on the, on the on LA Galaxy. What are your thoughts on Efrain Alvarez and how high do you think he could potentially get? Well, I, you're asking a guy who's a, still a teenager, who mm-hmm. still would what, be a junior in high school, maybe a sophomore in high school. You're asking him to play in the top league in the country. Um, but even more, you're asking him to play with Zlatan. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a guy who's played on every big club in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's played with... with with Pogba, he's played with Messi, he's played, uh, you know, with the best players of all time, and now all of a sudden you're asking a teenager to play with him. Mm-hmm. I think that combination could be tough. Um, Zlatan expects certain things. I think Ephraim can deliver them at times, but I don't think he's. If he was a consistent world-class player, he'd be playing all the time. Mm-hmm. I do think he has a lot to give. I think he's going to play a lot of minutes this mm-hmm. year. Whether he's the starter, he he told me a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. that they've been using him as a number ten okay. uh, in training. That tells me they think of him as being that center midfield link with Zlatan. Um, I, I think that'll be a combination that that will develop over time. Zlatan is a very demanding player on the field. Oh, you course, see him yeah. off the field, he's he's your buddy, he's jolly, but on the yeah. field he eats people up. Oh yeah. So it's going to be a very tough learning curve, but. There's a lot going on with that mm-hmm. because DeClose came in and said, I believe in the youth of Southern California. Yeah, I believe yeah. we need to develop an academy. Mm-hmm. And to do that, we need to give young players a chance to play. That's something the Galaxy haven't done lately. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, th- by playing Alvarez, DeClose is saying, see, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. true to my word. And these other players that left, like Yanez, um, those players that left can know that, hey, there is a place uh, for young players here. So there's a lot going on to that. It's just not getting necessarily the best 11 players on the field. It's teaching Alvarez to play with Zlatan, and then it's also giving the example that DeClosa is serious about playing young mm-hmm. players. No, and great points there. So let's finish up with here with LAFC. Obviously, they just came out. Got to, we got to both got to talk with Bob Bradley. Uh, LAFC came out with you know, the ESPN Plus, you know the doc, docu-series, uh, 10 uh, ten, uh, 10 episodes, I got to see it, and, you know, I, I feel like people really got to see a little bit of Bob Bradley, right? Like, you know, how much passion he has for the game, for the team, for the city, and everything is done. What do you what do you expect to see from LAFC this year? By the way, that uh, documentary, and we've, we've talked earlier about they've done with other soccer teams, Manchester United, mm-hmm. Sunderland had one. Um, that's another, I think, um, attempt to, to draw and lure this millennial base. Yep. I think millennials... Yep consume media different ways than my generation did and I think this documentary where it takes you behind the scenes and lets you see what these people are unvarnished and through and without going through the lens of a journalist like me Mm. I think that's a big selling point to Millennials and and people that watch that will not only feel like they're getting the truth but feel like I can cheer for this team I like these guys so uh, kudos to ESPN and and, uh, to LAFC for doing that Um, 
last year LAFC made the playoffs uh, as a uh, first-year team, 57 points, most ever by a first-year team in MLS. They made a lot of history, but the, the season ended in an unexpected playoff mm. loss to Real Salt Lake. No one saw that one coming. We talked to Stephen Bettisor today. I've talked to Walker Zimmerman and mm. Tyler Miller this offseason. They all said that, that everything that happened in the season was wiped out by that loss, yeah. that they never should have lost that game, that it left them with a bad taste in their mouth, and they're coming back to do better this year. One of the things last year, the team was good, but it was no one had played with each other before. Mm. They were all new. This year they come back not only knowing each other, though mm-hmm. for the most part the whole team is back. We're missing Benny Fellhaber, mm-hmm. uh, who led the team in big, starts big, and minutes. Big piece right there. That's a big piece. But mm-hmm. Lee Wynn probably and Mark Anthony Kay, who yeah. were here all last season, most of last season, Lee mm-hmm. Wynn came in a little late. They understand Bob Bradley's way of playing, this possession, short passing, possession oriented style that Barcelona plays, mm-hmm. it is very difficult to learn. Yeah. That's why Barcelona has an Academy La Masia where kids go at the age of seven and eight to learn that system so when they get to be 20 they know how to play it that's how long it takes to learn the system so lafc players learned that system last year the whole team is back with the exception of fellhaber they know how to play uh and you i have noticed it from bob bradley Mm -hmm. he denied this today when we talked to him but but (laughs) i've noticed that last year he seemed a little more forgiving Mm -hmm. hey first year you guys let's pick it up let's mm-hmm. let's try to learn this system this year it's like no excuses mm-hmm. we're not a first year team anymore mm-hmm. we know each other you guys know what my expectations mm-hmm. are this year uh, the atmosphere around the team feels a little bit different yeah. it feels a lot more serious to me no and, and, and then I gotta talk to uh, we were gonna ask Steven and Bob Bradley both this question like what does this team need to do in order to close out games because they, they had the lead majority I think 60 minutes and then like the last 30 they would either give it up lose or tie and Bob Bradley said to this point he said we got to be better right but I also think it's leadership right having like you said Lee Wynn, Mark Anthony K a better sure, you know, back and then, you know, Miller and all those guys talk, talking and be like, okay, we make it a point that we need to close out the game. Once we have the lead, we're not going to give it back. I think a lot of that not being able to close out the games comes from the style of play, too. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean the style of play is possession-oriented. And when mm-hmm. I talk to the people in Barcelona who play the same style of play, one of the reasons for that trip was to try to understand the style of play Bob Bradley wants to bring here. And mm-hmm. the people in Barcelona said, we never talk about defense. We don't practice defense. Mm-hmm. Defense is when you give the ball up, get it back. That's how we defend. Mm-hmm. Bob Bradley plays the same style. They don't drop back and play defense. They're push, push, pushing all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, possession-oriented. Their defense is keeping the ball away from the opponent. And why is that important? Well, that's an exhausting way to play mm-hmm. because all 11 players, for the most part, back, right? join the attack. Yep. And then when they give the ball up, their first instinct is to win the ball back. The second instinct is to drop back and play defense. That works for 60 minutes, but in the last 30 minutes when you're exhausted and you give the ball up and you can't win it back, now all of a sudden the other team is going the other way. I do think the style of play has something to do with giving up some of those late leads. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's fitness is one, but okay. then a little bit of understanding the style of play. And I think one thing that did hurt the Galaxy, or LAFC last year, excuse me, mm-hmm. Laurent Simon at, at, in central defense was a great player and was yeah. the captain, but he was very unpredictable. Sometimes you'd see him too far up in the attack and Walker Zimmerman would be the lone defender and there'd be a three-on-one rush and he just couldn't handle that. Um, I think you're going to see a little bit better defense this year. I think you're going to see guys stay, staying at home and I think that's going to help too. Yeah, no, that, and that's good and obviously they don't have Lawrence Lamar, but they did add Eddie Segura who's a young talent. I think it's going to be excited to see him and how him 
and the rest of it, right? Wakusim or Tyler Miller. I mean, we've seen a glimpse of it, how they played so so far, but I think they just need to build that trust within each other. Yeah, we have a lawnmower back here, you yeah. probably noticed. Um, <laughs> one thing about Segura that I've noticed, he is a young player, but he looks really relaxed and really confident. Um, you, you see him when the ball comes in his area, he needs to clear it out from the front of the net or whatever. He doesn't panic, he doesn't rush, mm -hmm. he understands how much time he has. I think he's kind of a perfect fit in this defense where, again, yeah where the majority of, of the team is rushing forward, I think he has the ability, the confidence um, uh, to stay back and to take care of things and to, and to sort of be that sweeper that they need in front of the net. Yeah, and then uh, one more piece that I'm excited to see is Shaft Brewer. We've seen some of the uh, some of the speed. I, was, I, got to, I talked about Bradley. He said he's just more teaching him more of the football. The game. Well, yeah, he's a guy that's a forward, and mm -hmm. he's very fast, but he's coming from forward back to right back. Now, that happens commonly, mm -hmm. uh, not all the time, but it happens a lot in soccer yep. where you have a forward that doesn't fit for whatever reason, but because he has speed, you play him back uh, at an outside back. Uh, it almost becomes a wing back. Ashley Cole did it for the Galaxy last year. Mm -hmm. We've seen Crystal Dunn do it with the U.S. Women's National Team quite effectively. Mm -hmm. And what it does in a team like Bradley is where you have a four-person back line, as one of those outside backs, in this case Shaft Brewer, comes forward, yep. he joins the attack. Then when they lose the ball and they have to drop back and defend, he has the speed mm -hmm. to come back. Um, and so he sort of is an attacker, but also a defender. One thing, you're not going to see him get a lot of minutes, though. He is a, a guy that will come off the bench. He'll play in U.S. Open Cup games and stuff. He still is a work in progress, a very young player. Um, he's not going to unseat any of their four starters, but he is something to watch for the future. Yeah, no, he definitely is. Um, there's a lot of stuff young promising. Obviously, you've got the lead floor back here. We're going to let that pass. Um, I want the people to know, where they can follow you? Can you give like, your social media handles? Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter at kbaxter11. That's K-B-A-X-T-E-R-11 uh, at Twitter. And then LA Times, uh, latimes.com, the website that we can follow our, uh, find all our stories. Yeah, so Kevin, thank you. Uh, I was going to wrap these up. Guys, you can listen to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Wherever you get your music to, make sure to give this uh, podcast a five-star rating, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to check us out on social media, Fantasy Sports Cave. Also, check us out our website articles, thefantasysportscave.com. For Kevin, this is Gio. We'll catch you guys next time. Peace.